0: In this episode, we focus on Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. Welcome to the Yellow Balloons podcast, a collection of teachings to help you navigate the transformational possibilities of a God-centered perspective. We pray these insights from Scripture will inspire and encourage you. In this season, Tim Dunn and Joey Willis walk through the book of Ecclesiastes, verse by verse, discussing what is being revealed about the nature of God, our world, and our most adequate response to it. Grab your Bible, some note-taking supplies, and pull up the BibleSays.com commentary on Ecclesiastes as we take a deep dive into the deep truths of Ecclesiastes. Rich with humility and hope, uncertainty and purpose, mystery and faith, This book is sure to challenge your perspective on what it means to live life well. All right, so moving on to Ecclesiastes 2. Can we get a brief overview of what this chapter is about?
1: Yeah, so briefly what Solomon's going to do in chapter 2 is he's going to get into some specifics of what it has looked like to exercise his own reason and his own experience, his own natural... Uh, inclinations towards what success and what meaning and purpose might look like. And so Solomon's going to share with us some of those experiences and some of the evaluations of himself that he noticed along the way, and then the conclusions of where those experiences naturally led to.
2: So what Solomon's going to do here is actually exercise everything you can think of in human reason and experience while he sits in the stands and watches himself, so he says, "I'm I'm I'm making very careful evaluation here to never get so immersed in it I lose my perspective." The very fascinating. Now I, I have noticed that there's a progression of awareness uh, of growing in wisdom. If you're a baby, all you all you know is you see, and then. Somewhere about six months or something, the babies start realizing, oh, that other pair of eyes looking at me, that's my dad looking at me, and they're responding to me. So you're now aware I look at them, they look at me. And a lot of people may never get beyond that, frankly. Mm -hmm. Uh, But the next phase is, okay, I'm going to go and listen. This is our servant leadership listening tool. I'm going to go stand in their shoes and see what they see. That's true listening is to see what they see. But then the next step is to actually say, I'm gonna see what I see, see what they see, and I'm also gonna sit over here on the in the stands and watch mm-hmm. and evaluate what's true and what, what isn't true. What is a true perspective? What isn't a true perspective? And hopefully at the same time, trying to look through God's eyes as well. So Solomon is telling us, this is part of wisdom and and i would say to our listeners that is something really worth trying to develop and and once you become aware of it to to get as good at it at as as you can because then you're actually seeing things from multiple perspectives and god's perspective all at once but he he's actually telling us up front i'm going to indulge in these experiences but i'm going to be watching and evaluating from the stands at the same time
0: All right, let's get into it. Verses one and two, I said to myself, come now, I will test you with pleasure. So enjoy yourself. And behold, it too was futile. I said of laughter, it is madness and of pleasure. What does it accomplish?
1: So you see in that first verse, what Tim is talking about, "I come now, I will test you with pleasure. He's talking to himself. Uh, Solomon's doing a bit of, of self-evaluation, which is uh, an underpracticed skill in our world. Mm-hmm. We sort of assume that, like, we're all good, and that any problems or challenges or difficulties or uncertainties we face are uh, external to us, and therefore those external things need to change in order for uh, those complexities or uncertainties to be resolved. And that's what we talk about in our servant leadership as the two circles: victim mentality versus freedom mentality. And so what Solomon is saying here is like, look, there's a big world around the, around me. There's all these sorts of things happening. But this exploration of what life is all about begins with me. So I'm going to look at myself. And he sort of gives himself permission in these verses to enjoy life. Go after those pleasures. Give them a chance. Uh, I imagine Solomon as like a college student here, you know, so in his <laughs> early 20s. He's kind of given himself permission to Sow some wild oats, or to get out there, and and Solomon will be clear in a few verses that his wisdom doesn't leave him when he does this. Mm-hmm. So he doesn't sell himself out totally to wickedness. What he's doing is he's saying, okay, enjoy yourself, knowing that wisdom at some point is going to come along and say, like, well, this is not enjoyment anymore. You're in the towards you're in self destruct mode, uh, and so Solomon's not talking about going haywire. But what he is saying is like, okay you know, go to a Yankees game, see what that feels like, um, enjoy going to the movies with your friends, um, try to acquire some wealth and spend it on things that you enjoy. Uh, so enjoy life in a responsible way, and let's see how that goes.
2: This myself here is a Hebrew word, leb, and it occurs 593 times in the Old Testament. So <clears throat> it's a pretty... It's a word that shows up a lot, and it's translated heart five hundred eight of those times in the in the King James, which is where a lot of the um, resources are, are are pegged on. So, it could it could be translated as said in his heart. So he's speaking to himself, as Joey said, and and this is something that I I find that uh, people are kind of embarrassed about. They they have they have a conversation going on inside themselves, and they don't. They don't know if they're the only ones that do that. Well, here's Solomon. He's the wisest man in the world. <laughs> he talked to himself, okay? And this is actually self-talk, okay? He is a practice-wise uh, user of self-talk, and he'll do, he'll do it throughout this. And this is something you want to do wisely. You want to learn to to do uh, self-talk, talk to yourself in such a way that you're talking yourself into what's true, like we talked about last time. Uh, I have flesh narcosis. I need to go to the surface, uh, well, you know, there's a flesh talking to you all the time. There's a spirit talking to you all the time. And your heart makes, is making the choice. And you can enter that conversation. You can have a three-way conversation in your own self. And learning to discern those voices is a real valuable skill. Mm-hmm. Uh, and your flesh is a ventriloquist, I'll just tell you that.
0: <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's funny that you say that. Joe, I was having a really hard time a couple of weeks ago. And I was crying and I was sitting and I was processing sort of through the things that I was feeling and and I was telling Joey, I'm like, well, these voices in my head are saying this thing Mm -hmm. and it's not true, right? Or Mm -hmm. it's these uh, system one behaviors Mm -hmm. that have been adopted over the years that Mm -hmm. are not helpful. They're not serving me well anymore. And Joey just looked at me and he goes you listen to my voice, (laughs) which he doesn't do very often, if ever. It might have been the first time. And I sort of looked at him, and I was like, oh, you're serious. And it's because what you're doing is you're speaking truth to me, and I have Mm -hmm. all of these lies sort of Mm -hmm. floating around that I'm trying to discern between.
1: Well, and what's interesting about that situation with us was the, your self talk was telling you how I perceived you. Mm-hmm. Your so your self talk was saying I'm a burden to him. He doesn't like it when I cry, and you were saying that. I was like, why don't you listen to what <laughs> I actually have to say to you about how and trust that I'm being honest with you. <laughs> but that's our self. Like Tim's right, we're embarrassed about it, but we have this mm-hmm. running commentary. Yeah. Every yeah. time someone mm-hmm. says something to us in the office, we're like, what do they mean by that? You know, <laughs> we we have our own little <laughs> narratives that that we do and. And that's actually a, a real gift. Mm-hmm. And so what, what we've got to do and what Solomon is doing here is, is being intentional about aiming that self-talk towards self-evaluation rather than uh, being blaming and critical of others constantly to say like, okay, I've got this heart-mind-conscious situation, so I need to use that to, to my advantage to kind of evaluate the life that's set before me.
2: And he says to himself, come now, I will test you. Isn't that fascinating? With pleasure. So he he views this pleasure as a test. Can you learn from this something about life through your reason and experience that really tells you the meaning of life? And can you do it in such a way that you don't succumb to it?
1: Yeah. And you know what's interesting is, uh, you know, Solomon doesn't mean it exactly this way, I don't think, but in a way, a college student who decides... I'm just going to live it up while I'm in college. It's kind of doing the same thing. They're saying basically like, I'm going to sow my wild oats and I'm going to just have a good time while I'm in college. And they're not being very intentional. So there's an added element of danger. But what they're basically saying is I'm going to test my pleasures and Mm -hmm. see what I think of them. But there's a reason that there's no 60 year old people that are Party animals still
2: living like that. No,
1: well, there are some. There are but some, <laughs> but it, but we view that totally differently, don't we? Yeah. Mm-hmm. We kind of like that's sad. Yeah. We would say mm-hmm. there's a reason. A lot of them are that.
2: living under a bridge somewhere. Mm-hmm. If they right, mm-hmm. because
1: at that pleasure, like we all kind of know that it doesn't end, and that's it what saw, end as, well. That's yeah. what Solomon's saying here is like, look, you might be having a good time when you're out partying, getting drunk every night, but it's just madness. You're just mm-hmm. laughing like mm-hmm. a cackle. It just doesn't mean anything. It, it's It's pointless, which by the way, you can laugh with joy, Mm -hmm. with a true sense of joy that isn't madness, Yeah. right? You can laugh and you can enjoy and experience life in such a way that it actually is emotionally fun, but also meaningful. And so you don't need to like sow wild oats. You don't need to just like waste your life in these meaningless, mad places. Uh, But he gives himself permission to at least put a toe in that water to to help himself evaluate and discover that that's, that reality is true.
2: And a lot of those wild oats <clears throat> uh, discover that you're an alcoholic or turn into all kinds of uh, really negative consequences that you didn't bargain for, right? right? Mm-hmm. But... What he's doing here, I think he's putting, like you said, guardrails on this within his society. Now, we're going to see one of the things he does is have like hundreds of concubines, okay? So as a king in that culture, that was still within his guardrails. But it doesn't turn out good. It does not turn out good. They turn out being a stumbling block for him and throwing him off course. So he says his his wisdom never uh, departed from him, and perhaps it didn't during this time frame. But eventually, it gets him. It does, mm. yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: All right. For verses three through nine, I explored with my mind how to stimulate my body with wine, while my mind was guiding me wisely, and how to take hold of folly until I could see what good there is for the sons of men to do under heaven. The few years of their lives, I enlarged my works. I built houses for myself. I planted vineyards for myself. I made gardens and parks for myself, and I planted in them all kinds of fruit trees. I made ponds of water for myself, from which to irrigate a forest of growing trees. I bought male and female slaves, and I had home-born slaves. Also, I possessed flocks and herds larger than all who preceded me in Jerusalem. Also, I collected for myself silver and gold and the treasure of kings and provinces. I provided for myself male and female singers and the pleasures of men many concubines. Then I became great and increased more than all who preceded me in Jerusalem. My wisdom also stood by me.
1: So Solomon, basically in this passage, just goes after everything that we chase after on a superficial level, searching for meaning. And you know, there's a sense in which we talk about in our in our world, things like money doesn't buy happiness. We say things like that. Uh, but our actions don't actually align with that. There's a deeper part of us, I think, not a deeper part, there's another part of us that really thinks money does buy happiness. It can get us uh, these things that we want. We seek after fame. And you know there are countless stories of lottery winners who quickly go bankrupt or um, professional athletes that... Lose a sense of purpose after they win gold medals or championships, and struggle in later life with addictions. There's stories about, uh, you know, famous people um, becoming depressed and and dealing with all sorts of of different issues, just like the general population. There's a great quote by Jim Carrey of all people, where he says, "I wish everybody could be famous." so that everyone could see how pointless it actually <laughs> is. And so there's this weird way in which we can observe this reality. It's around us all the time. But this little voice inside of us, this little flesh says to us, but you'd be different. If you won the lottery, it would be different. If you were famous, you would handle it differently, right? And we always say like, oh, I wish I was a billionaire because then I could, I wouldn't be changed. I would use my money in, you know, uh, in only good ways, I would give it all away, right? Mm-hmm. And then, you know, people like that, a lot of times, if they stumble into a billion dollars, guess what? They buy jets. Like it's <laughs> it's what people, it's what, like it's this, this struggle, but we have this weird idea that it's just going to be different for us. We're going to be the exception. And so what Solomon does here is he just jumps into all the things you would want. He has multiple homes. He builds gardens and parks. He surrounds himself with... Physical beauty. He amasses possessions. Uh, he just takes and acquires everything from a worldly point of view that you could possibly want.
2: Yeah, and if we if we try to just put it into a modern kind of a setting, he's got a, the male and female slaves. We, we would think of slavery in most most uh, places, and certainly in Israel, was more most of an economic thing. It was uh, the way you acquired labor. Mm-hmm. We we would think of it like a you think of a of a acquiring a baseball player. I bought his contract, sort of a thing. Uh, not always. Sometimes they'd go, you know, ransack some other civilization, and sometimes it was ethnic. But in 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 Israel, it was very carefully orchestrated as an economic thing. In fact, you it was had a a real prescribed term. But he has tons of employees. He's got. Uh, flocks and herds, so he's got a great, a huge enterprise. He's got massive treasure, male and female singers, so he's got like his own entertainment. Uh, <laughs> yeah, you know, built in for he doesn't even have to go to the s- symphony because he's he's got it in his house. And then many concubines. So what a concubine is? It's it was a a woman with whom the king had sexual intercourse and children, who did not. Uh, have the status of wife. Okay. So when he says concubines here, what he's saying is he's uh, basically acquiring women to have sex with. Mm. Okay. So now, and this was again the prerogative kings in, in that time frame. Um, 300, let's just talk about 300 here. That's like one a day for a whole year.
0: That's not even including 700 wives. And
2: 700 wives to go with it. Now, a lot of the wives were diplomatic things. So I, I think probably the reason he mentioned concubines is because I imagine those were acquired for beauty and the se- the wives are mostly diplomacy. Okay. So I imagine the concubines were, and, th- and that, so, but we're, we're talking about, I mean, we're talking about like a, a, an endless supply of women and, You know, he says in Proverbs that uh, strong brings a a drawler, and whoever's intoxicated is not wise. So when he says wisdom, he's making himself happy but not crossing over into drunkenness. But wine, women, and song. I don't know if that phrase came from this passage. (laughs) It might have, yeah. But that's what he has. He has wine, women, and song. While he keeps his wisdom, he says, when the queen of Sheba came to visit Solomon, uh, we read in 1 Kings 10, she perceived all the wisdom of Solomon. She was queen in Ethiopia. The house he had built, the food of his table, the seating of his servants, the attendance of his waiters and their attire, his cupbearer's stairway went up to the house of the Lord, and there was no more spirit left in her. So here's this queen and she, you know, she wants to be somebody big, you know. And she came and saw all of, all the stuff Solomon had built and she's like I never will live up to this. I just give up. <laughs> I just I just, I can't I can't ever reach this this uh state of grandeur. Then she said to the king it, it was a true report which i heard in my own land about your words and wisdom nevertheless i did not believe the reports until i came and my eye had seen and behold the half was not told of me and so that, that i mean he really he really built it all out it was amazing and yet we'll say we'll see later he he comes to realize you know what's going to happen some foolish grandsons going to come along and squander it all And it it made it, it start making it it hard for him to enjoy it all.
0: Hmm. All right. Verses 10 through 11. All that my eyes desired, I did not refuse them. I did not withhold my heart from any pleasure. For my heart was pleased because of all my labor. And this was my reward for all my labor. Thus, I considered all my activities, which my hands had done, and the labor which I had exerted. And behold, all was vanity. And striving after the wind, and there was no profit under the sun.
1: Yeah. So again, we get this idea that Solomon isn't missing anything. Again, we we've uh, talked a couple of times about the tyranny of more, and how when it comes to superficial possessions and achievements, we often feel like we're just another zero in our net worth away from uh, true fulfillment, or that we're just another circumstance away from. Having it all and living happily ever after, and Solomon doesn't doesn't deprive himself of anything. He he takes everything. He he gets everything that you could want. Everything that he desires. It, nothing is withheld from him, and he spends all of his labor, all of his effort uh, in achieving, and he achieves. Uh, he gets. He possesses. He takes. Um, and when he when he does that self talk thing and evaluates. The the Solomon who's watching from the stands looks at it and just says, Man, this is just 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 chasing after the wind. Just what are we what are we doing here? Why? Why does this matter? What are we actually accomplishing? And, you know, that whole idea that Tim talked about, like Solomon sitting in the stands watching himself, is so valuable because you know that like that perspective is 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 really an an important perspective. When Kylie and I were on the mission field as leaders, We would come into a team and come visit them, and they'd be talking and fighting about all the issues they were fighting about. And just the mere fact that we weren't involved actively in the dispute gave us a perspective that was really powerful. Mm -hmm. And we could say to them, hey, you realize that you guys all love each other and you're just trying to fight about how to love each other well. well. Like, slow down and realize that, you know. But having an outside perspective can sometimes be very, very helpful when we're processing that. And Solomon gives like a semblance of that. He's got himself sitting up there because the Solomon that's running around enjoying all the concubines and all the money is probably having a very good time. But the Solomon who's evaluating that Solomon is thinking,
2: why? Like to, what to is it? end.
1: What is it? Yeah. Mm-hmm. What does it matter? Aren't we chasing after the wind? Like, don't I look like a bit of a fool here? What is what is the point of all of this?
2: And what ends up happening is the women become an ensnarement to him. And, and um, you know, it's um, it becomes a big mess. But... The, the answer he's going to give us to all this, we see it. We see a hint of it here. I was pleased because of all my labor. So while, while the result of this doesn't really accomplish anything that's going to really last and answer anything, it's really fun to go through and build. Mm-hmm. When I'm working, I'm really enjoying it. When I'm building my parks and when I'm building my projects and when I'm building my kingdom, that's actually fun. The doing of it's fun. And, and we're going to see before too long is like, just enjoy what you do. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Don't try to create a lasting result. You can't do it. It's just part of a cycle. But you know what? If you're grateful to participate along the way mm-hmm. and leave the results up to God, you can actually really enjoy life. That's where, that's where we're going to get. And we, we see it, we see it begin to form here. I really liked the doing part of it.
1: Isn't that one of the great reversals in the Bible that we think this effort in the doing is the price that we have to pay to get the thing at the end, the you know, the wealth or the other mm-hmm. prizes. And what what Ecclesiastes is saying, what scripture says often is that in the doing is the most profit, yeah. is the most gain, is the most benefit for you, the effort of it is actually the greatest prize.
2: We see that in the book of Job, one of my one of my favorite books. Job came to know God by faith in that book, and he took that with him forever. Now, he lost all of his possessions, and then he gained double back, but then he died, and he lost them all again. He, so he, we don't read the second part, right? But ultimately, that's where everything goes. It's it's all passing through our hands, going somewhere else. Everything we own, everything we have, but being faithful and working—that's actually, if we do it well, that's actually something we can keep keep with us the rest of our lives. There's a there's a parable in the New Testament that I think is is uh, g- generally misunderstood in my in my view, and the point of it is, we are each other's reward and. The, the relationships we have with one another we are actually something we can take with us. And it's the parable of the unrighteous steward. And it's Jesus speaking to his disciples. And he's telling his disciples uh, a story of an unrighteous steward who's actually the, the hero of the parable, which is very paradoxical because the guy's a thief. And he comes and he's, he's pilfering from his master. And somebody rats on him. And so the master says gonna audit you because I've had this accusation, and so the steward says to himself, "I'm gonna get caught, so I've got a limited time here before I get fired." And he's talking to himself. And he says, "Okay, I need, I need to have a job after this, and I'm too ashamed to beg, and I'm too weak to dig, and then he, I know what I'm gonna do. I got it." And his 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 reasoning, his calculation in the parable is that they may receive me into their homes. That they may receive me into his homes, their homes. So then he goes to one person that says, How much do you owe my master? And he says, So much, so many barrels, 50 barrels of oil. He says, Sit down, and write 30. How much wheat do you owe my master? 50 bushels. Sit down, and write 20. And I imagine what he's doing there is forgiving all the interest if he forgave the principal, he might have to go to jail, you know, but he's just forgiven the interest. That's my guess. And word comes back to the master, and the master says, ha, 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 well, isn't that fellow clever? He is very shrewd. And the parable ends. And then Jesus (laughs) turns to the disciples and says, so why don't you be shrewd? And then he says, the people of this world are shrewd, the sons of darkness, he calls them, are shrewd, and how are they shrewd? Well, what that what that guy was saying to himself is, I know how reciprocity works, and in, in the ancient East, if you did something for somebody, they were obligated to pay you back, it wasn't even optional in their culture, and he says, I know if I do something for them, they're going to have to do something for me, so I need to do enough where they'll mm. take care of me the rest of my life, it's reciprocity and the world understands reciprocity. Every lobbyist is all about reciprocity, right? The giveaways at the store are all about reciprocities. There's, there's a million different ways where people try to give you something so you'll give them something back. It happens every day. But he says the sons of Lot don't get it. They don't get reciprocity. And he says to the disciples, so make for yourself friends, with unrighteous mammon, money. And who's the master, really? God, I want you to pilfer my money that I gave to you by giving it away to other people that they may receive you into an eternal home. So everything we do for people is has an opportunity for reciprocity in the next life. And you should be sowing those seeds, he says, okay? well." That's a, that's a perspective we don't think of that, that much. And so not only is doing life with others satisfying in this life, that's something that apparently is really going to carry on in a way that most of us really don't get. And so he, he's giving us the seeds of it here, but it's, gonna, it's going to flesh out more as, as we get through into the book.
0: Thanks for listening to the Yellow Balloons podcast.